Hello and welcome back to another episode of Going Through the Motions with me, Callum. And me, Alex. How's it going, guys? The podcasting equivalent of trying to record a podcast and then realizing you've no space on your laptop to record a podcast, so you frantically start deleting stuff and then realize you've deleted too much stuff. That sounds about right. I've related uh, the podcast to that situation many times. It was either that or the podcasting equivalent of realizing that your Xbox no longer works, frantically going on and buying a new Xbox um, reluctantly, but then realizing you've actually bought two Xboxes. Yeah. I had, on an unrelated note, I had one of the most stressful extended conversations with a mate uh, yesterday that I've ever had in my life. (laughs) Who was that? Oh, wait, that was you. <laughs> Honestly, right, before, right, go easy on me. I'm a little hungover today. I've had a tough week. It's been a, it's been a hard week at work. We managed to get a big deadline. And, uh, it, it's, and I, I've, I've had a lot of other things going on, stressful things. Naturally, with COVID, everywhere's closed. My, um, my girlfriend, as you know, is, is American. And every couple of years, we have to redo our visa, her visa. And in order to process that effectively, I need to put in my physical pay slips. And they're very difficult to come by, it turns out, because they're in yeah. a drawer at work and no one is able to get them to me, um, which, is, which is kind of one of these, uh, it's, a long, it's a long story. So that on top of the fact that, as I said, my Xbox broke of seven years. Yeah. You were not a happy bunny. I've just, I just needed it. I just needed it. But what was really sweet was my, uh, my boss who realized that I was having a bit of a shit week. And I, I get, they had some, some news, news from home as well, which was a little bit uh, d- shocking as well from, from family friends. Um, so everything kind of, everything came together and um, don't worry. It's nothing. You, you don't know. them. Uh, you looked worried there for a second. Like I didn't tell you something. It's okay. It's, yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. You're don't worry. Don't worry. It's, don't worry. No, 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 it's, nothing, it's nothing for you to worry about. <laughs> I know right on the podcast I'm announcing it, but, it was, I just had one of those weeks and it was really sweet because yesterday my, my boss texted me. We were working on a project together and texted me. She says, uh, she says like, go, go to your door. And I was like, what? She was like, go downstairs. And I went and uh, she delivered me a bottle of Prosecco or sorry, a bottle of champagne because we were all planning to have like a pop of the champagne because we'd meet this really big milestone for the project we're working on. And it was just a really Amazing. lovely, thoughtful thing to do. And I was kind of, I was kind of speechless. And it was kind of, you know, when you're, oh, you know, did, when you're did, kind of just like frustrated. Sorry? Did she come herself? She, did she what? Sorry? Did she come around and like deliver? No, deliver no, 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 no. She did a Deliveroo. Oh, right. Fine. It was Deliveroo. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Deliveroo. She did it. So it was really, it was, she, she was tracking it. But yeah, it was, it was really sweet of her. It was really, it was really, uh, um, that yeah, is lovely. Really, yeah. So, Working from home in, in our flat, I'm not sure if it's, it's the same for you and your working from home situation, but we have a very small one bedroom flat and the lounge kind of doubles as the, uh, as the, I guess, the, the, the dining room. And so the table is very small and uh, my girlfriend requires two screens a lot of the time for her work. And so she takes up that space, uh, which yeah. means that I need to work in the bedroom. So for the last month, I've worked from my bed. So I can officially, along with a lot of the brothels and the, and the prostitutes, say that I do a lot of my work from, uh, from my bed at the moment, which is really nice. Uh, I get a lot of my stuff done from my bed. <laughs> well, actually, that, actually, that's one thing you could probably do uh, over them, because I don't think they're working at the moment. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, they're not. Business must be terrible. Quick. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think that's practicing responsible social distancing. 
Well, you would know. I mean, Alex, have they been lowering the prices for you? Have you uh, noticed any drop in? <laughs> Dropped you in it because you're a dog of a bloke. No, I've, not, I've not been charged for years. I'm a regular. <laughs> not since the incident. <laughs> How have you been? How have you been? Yeah, good. Good. Again, uh, fairly fairly busy week although more of a more of a busy week uh, of my own making but i think i'll save that for moving forward at the end of the at the end of the episode excellent excellent I'll, I'll, talk, I'll talk more about that at the end which you don't wonderful mind. do we want to do any memes have we seen anything funny that's been relevant or recent i think that i think there's the the meme that i wanted to bring about is joe biden who is the oh, yeah. now going to be the I think the Dem- the Democratic rep- I think representative in the 2020 election tweeted or I don't know if it's a real tweet I think it's a fake tweet but it's a it's a fantastic meme and it's just Joe Biden I can't believe I have to say this but please don't drink or inject yourself with bleach yeah. what could that be refer- what could that be referencing <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be referencing a certain quote-unquote leader of the free world my god at a press conference just off the cuff asking an advisor off camera is like should we explore that should we should we explore um um, injecting ourselves with the disinfectant have we tried have we tried light Okay. Have we tried heat? It's like, do you know, so when I watched it, I was getting the impression that it was kind of, he was saying, oh, I've been telling them to do this. I've been telling them to do that. In that they're so vague that if one of them, one of these miracles did perchance work, you can be damn sure he would procre- pro- proclaim himself as the one who fixed it. The one exactly. Who, that's that what it did. That's exactly what it was. It, it's, just- it's, I'll ca- cast my net this wide and just see what happens. Yeah. Did you see Nicola Sturgeon's kind of response on it? No. So she, in the Scottish Daily conference, press conference update, she talked about the role of world leaders and how everyone's doing the best job of the, the job that they can. She's, she's aggressively polite um, about her fellow leaders. And I was actually quite touched about you know, how supportive she was being of our own Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, even though politically they yep. are so, so far apart. But, you know, everyone's banding together. It's not a time for party politics and, no. and things. And I actually really, really like that at the moment. But she did say, what we can't do is regurgitate... I, I can't say exactly what she said. You should go and look at it. But she said, what we can't do is regurgitate something that we heard someone say halfway down a corridor as if that might be a thing and put it off as public advice. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was. I mean, it was the equivalent, watching him speak was the equivalent of a drunk standing outside of a chippy trying to, trying to realize that this is how you get rid of, if you've got bats in your attic, have we tried heat? Have we tried bleach? Have we tried injecting ourselves and running at the bats? If you watch, I mean, that is literally, I've, I've seen that script in the scramblings and the ramblings on a wall of a mental asylum written in human shit. I have yeah. seen more coherent sentences in that format than what came out of that utter, utter despicable human being's mouth. Yeah. 
she's such a windbag. There, there oh. just there just must be there, but there just must be a social responsibility thing for this. I'm sorry, this isn't a political podcast at all. But my God, I mean, I think we've gone well beyond that. This isn't politics. This is this is sense versus nonsense. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I was wondering how long it would take for the whole for the whole world to go crazy. And I don't think we're quite there yet, but the signs are definitely there. I think the president of America kind of suggesting that everyone should inject themselves with bleach is one thing. Well, he's come on today, so he was asked about it today, and apparently he's, he's adamant that he was being sarcastic and we all should have picked up on the sarcastic tones. That's amazing. how he's, that's how amazing. he's pulling amazing. it off. Amazing. That's, yeah, that's, that's totally legit. See, that's sarcasm. That's effective sarcasm. I like what you did there. What he did was not what you just did there. No, and also, it's not the platform for doing it on. We should send is this there... one straight to the White House. You know, people so that you can hear scared. what sarcasm is. But yeah, should. But honestly, people are people are scared about their health, but about like you know their jobs and the economy as well. Like you've seen, have you seen like the protests going on across America? I mean, the protests are the most beautiful uh, display of Darwinism in the world. I mean, they really are. In, yeah. You know, and and it's it's almost. I'm almost. Dare I say it? If they want to sit, all of them collectively protest in a field, fine. But do not get in the way of the health workers and stuff. It, it, it's like, it's what, ludicrous. You know what they were doing? Pardon? What they were doing? You know, that's, what, you know that's, not, that's what they were doing. Like, no, I know, one yeah. The, one of the first pro- protests was in uh, Michigan. the capital, Michigan, Lansing, which, yep. by the way, was where I lived for two years. Yeah. And they were, they, at the time, there weren't that many protesters, but they, but they actively tried to, like, barricade the hospital like to stop ambulances getting in and stuff mental like mental like what are you doing Run and they were over. armed it's like an armed militia i'm like what is going on well it was and it's all it's funny because it's all these i i think a lot of the people who are protesting and that why would they have guns it's it is ridiculous it's they just take themselves so seriously but these are the sort of people that are the doomsday preppers so when the time comes that the closest thing to a doomsday comes they're not in their little bunkers isolating like they should be doing and like they plan to do they're out on the streets it's fucking mad although to turn it a little bit lighter and just mad mad comedic yes do you know what i loved i loved the picture of the guy with like a massive rifle swung slung across his back. He's in full camo. He's in full camo, but he's holding a placard that says, I need a haircut. <laughs> yeah, they're going nuts because they can't get haircuts. It is a, it is exactly. such a it's such a vain protest, isn't it? It's it's like because all, I, I think there it's was irony. Almost, there's almost a point to, there's almost a point to your, your protest. Like you have a point in your protest, even though it's not a priority at the moment. You need to realize that. But you hurt your own cause when one of your points is, I need a haircut. Yeah. And it's the sort of people that I'm sure a haircut isn't really going to solve all of that guy's issues. He's still going to be a fat, ugly <laughs> after as well. <laughs> Sorry for that. You're, you're preaching to the choir, though, because I'm in desperate need of the haircut as well. <laughs> So I noticed you haven't shaved yet, neither have I. None of us have. Uh, I was, honestly, I've. It went from. It started in our house for me saying I'm going to shave my head, and Maddie saying No, you're not. 
to now Mary going, today's the day I'm going to shave your head. And I'm going, no, you're not. <laughs> we've, we've switched. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm still, I'm still on the side of, I want to see, I want to see a big body bastard Callum. <laughs> oh God, it's getting really bad. It's getting really bad. Anyway, we are a music Should and movies me? podcast. We look at our favorite movies. We look at the soundtracks behind them and we discuss them. We discuss maybe the origins of them or why we like them or where they came from or what of these movie soundtracks have been inspired by other movies and uh, the making of such movie. And you know one thing that I have really enjoyed about me making this podcast with two mm. people mm-hmm. is that if I was doing this by myself, or if you were doing this by yourself, yeah, you you would talk about movies that you'd seen, or I'd talk about movies that I'd seen. I have watched loads of new movies now that I now love. Lovely, amazing. Well, yeah, because you it's been as a, a result, bit of a role. Yeah, as a result of your recommendations. And I think I've introduced you to some stuff as well. Yeah, I, I definitely think Once Upon a Time in the West was one of the one of the ones that I really enjoyed. Thanks for obviously from your recommendation. Yeah. Uh, and you've yeah, I think obviously last week you had The Shining, which you'd never seen. This week I'm going to start us off with uh, Spirited Away, which Excellent. is one that you had not seen. I had not seen it. It's been on my Netflix watch list for a, quite a while. Excellent. What's what? So, t- talk me through *Spirited Away*. What's your thoughts on the film? What's the film about? What what is it? Well, in a nutshell, it's Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, it's it's a it's a Japanese Alice in Wonderland. It's, Jap- it's Japanese Alice in Wonderland. This young girl is moving to a new place, and she and her parents accidentally stumble across a sort of afterlife, magical world kind of mm. place sort of limbo land between earth and the spirit world or or something of that description i can't i can't think of a more accurate term for it than that and i'll let i mean i'll I'll let you talk more specifics about it yeah i mean it is it is uh, it's it's the reason i ask is because it's really difficult to explain this movie to someone who's never seen it it's a really difficult movie to get across and the most straightforward way that i think of explaining this movie is explaining that it's just alice in wonderland really so i watched this movie i'll I'll tell you i remember watching this movie in switzerland with my brother and i must have been about 12 13 years old and it was uh with my dad and we we met it was me my brother my dad and we met with friends of my dad's and we stayed with them in their home and i rem- i've got very strong memories of watching this and they we watched it in english with french subtitles but obviously it's a japanese ver- film originally dubbed into english yeah and i'll always remember the people we stayed with had an apple orchard in their back garden and they pressed their own apples and i've got this every time i watch this movie it's so vivid like this like i i actually went and drank a, i got a bowl of uh sorry a uh a carton of apple juice and drank it as I was watching this again because oh, it was that's... such a strong because it, and it was so evocative and it brought me back to when I was a child watching this and uh, but I'll never forget it was, it was beautiful it was just absolutely fresh fresh um, 
So that was a, yeah. <laughs> it's a weird little tidbit for you there. But the, 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 the crazy thing about this is that it is a terrifying movie for a kid. It's terrifying. Like, a lot of the visuals are really very, very scary. The animations, apart from, it seems that everything that's not a human character is drawn to terrifying proportions. Yes, the caricature and, levels. Unnatural proportions. Even things that are of Earth, that are of human Earth. For example, the pigs. Yeah. The pigs are pigs. There's nothing you, you could really point out in the pig that's too weird. But at the same time, they're weird, right? Yeah, yes, yes. So I, I, I think let's just, let's just get into this and we'll, we'll go through this. So the, song, the, the film starts with the song One Summer's Day, which is almost the, the main theme, if you will. So the, compo- uh, the, the film directed by Hayao Miyazaki, who famous anime director, created a, a series of films. One very similar to this style is Howl's Moving Castle, which is also, I'm going to be doing that one, I think, in a, I guess in a couple of weeks or months, because that's also an incredible movie with an incredible soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, the Howl's Moving Castle and Spirited Away, both scored by Joe Hisashi, who is a fantastic Japanese composer. So as I said, One Summer's Day is the, the opening piece of music that's played. This is such an enchanting piece of music. And enchanting, I think, is the word to describe a lot of this. There's a very piano concerto feel throughout this whole movie with oriental japanese themes that are used and some other non-japanese pieces of uh pieces of music which i'll get to a little bit later on yeah i i I just think once one summer's day is a classic example i mean like that's featured in a lot of my work playlist my work classical music or movie music playlists i have this on there because it's just it's it's a warm and a complete and magical feeling sound and song, and it, as I said, it plays quite a lot throughout. There's the reprise at the end has this piece of music, and it's just wonderful. I mean, it is just wonderful, and it and it really sets the scene. I think the animation style is totally unique to um, uh, to Hayao Miyazaki. I think everything that you see on the screen is very very specific to him, and it. Obviously, it has that typical anime gleam and gloss to it, but I think the way that the 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 way that the what you're seeing on screen, all the way that things move and the way that things interact with each other, you kind of forget that you're watching an animation at some points. Yeah, there's a lot of scenes where it it's kind of I know a lot of people, a lot of mo- you know movie watchers and movie lovers will see this because it's very 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 high on the IMDb top. 250 list of greatest movies of all time. It's 20, 28. Now, it's the, best, uh, it's the best animated movie in IMDb's uh, roster of top 250. It won a ton of awards, including obviously award for the best animated feature, which is the first foreign film to ever win that award. Yeah. And it's, it's purely down well, to just the, the magical nature of this movie. No, it really is. It really is. I, yeah, I, I really was transported when I was watching it. So something that always stayed with me at the start was there's a sequence near, near the beginning where Sun... So I, I, I forget her name always. Um, so it's Haku and uh, it's Sen is, is her name actually. But it's Shihiro is, is actually the girl's name. But I guess we'll call her Sen 
throughout this, but Sen and Haku. Yeah. And she's Sen for um, the majority of the movie. For the majority of the movie, yeah, as opposed to Shihiro. But Sen and Haku have to cross the bridge to get to this bathhouse. Now, the, it's funny, we talked, obviously we joked before about brothels and stuff, but actually the, the um, Hiro Miyazaki actually had to defend that it wasn't a, it wasn't a brothel, like it, the bathhouse wasn't actually based off a brothel. Because I think right. some people kind of over the years have kind of been like, oh, is it a weird connotation to it? It's not, it's totally not. Yeah. But, as, but as you can see, it's, it's this magical place of all sorts and people from all over come into this, this bathhouse. But the, but the part where she had to hold her breath to get in, yeah. I, I'll never forget that. Like that was, it's just bizarre. And everything about this is bizarre and unique. <laughs> And then when, and when Haku imprints, when she says, I need you to do this, I need you to go down these stairs and go into the boiler room and, and meet the boiler man. And as he's doing this, he's putting his thumb to her head as in so that she can see where he wants her to go. And it's all those little weird yeah. quips and weird things that are just like, that just make the storytelling element of what we're watching so much more interesting and deep. And yeah. I think that the, the, when she's crossing the, the bridge, the music that's being played, there's a, there's a low drum beat that's kind of being played. And then it's kind of building in pace, which is mimicking her, obviously her holding her breath in and the heartbeat. Obviously, when you hold your breath, you're very aware of your internal body starting to, I guess, just struggle with the fact that it's not built to do that. Yeah. And the drums emphasize that until the point where she has to take a deep breath because she can't hold it anymore. And the fast violins just kick in at that moment because she runs because the frog obviously sees her. And it, it's just yeah. really, really well paired, that scene. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I, and on a kind of broader point, I, I feel more engaged in these types of movies when I'm always thinking, I'm looking at animation and I'm thinking, how did this come out of somebody's imagination? So that's a really great point you make, Alex. And the answer is, it absolutely came out of his imagination. And what I mean by that is that actually, Hiro Miyazaki didn't intentionally write the full script. He actually started animating it and just let it go and just let it go. The, the story, believe it or not, actually just naturally came as, as it was, as it was uh, building, it, as they were animating it. Evolves. It. Oh. Pardon me? It just evolves. It did evolve. It did evolve. And, as, and you can maybe tell that because the story does start to kind of... I, personally, I think the latter half of this movie is a little bit weak because I think it gets a little bit... I don't quite understand it. And I think there's a lot of cultural references that are take place that maybe aren't yeah. so well um, in the tune with a lot of the Western audiences that watch it. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so that's a fun little, fun little fact. And it's interesting that you picked up on that. But yeah, it, 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 it did just flow from his mind, the, the ideas in this movie. And a, yeah. and a lot of them, a lot of the ideas actually came from uh, him as growing up. So the whole cleansing of the river, where he was cleansing the bath spirits and the bad spirits, um, that actually came from experiences that he had when he was a, was a child. When he was 12 years old, he took part in a cleaning of a river, physical cleaning of the river, in which one of the things that he took out of the river, believe it or not, was a bicycle which obviously we saw in this. So it, it, it's that kind of these ideas flow back into him and they've inspired him uh, yeah. throughout this. The, uh, the second piece of, or uh, there's a lot of pieces of music in this that are just fantastic. I wanted to talk about suit balls, suit balls being the little, the little balls that jump around in the boiler room. 
and yeah. uh, it turns out that they're obviously trapped spirits or people that have, I guess, done something wrong or something, but they're now destined to put coal into the furnace. And it's a kind of fantastic little piano, almost a piano concerto, and it has loads of offbeats and off rhythms in the piece of music, and it kind of represents the bouncing of these soup balls jumping around. Yeah, they kind of hop. Yeah, and it's kind of like the 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 the, the chaotic nature of these things moving is ri- is 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 mirrored in the offbeats of this piece of music, soup balls. I, I really enjoyed that. And then straight from soup balls goes into procession of gods and procession of gods is the next song after that and that basically is the piece of music that introduces the bathhouse and that is a, an, yeah. an, a beautiful grand oriental piece of music that is so structured and is so layered and it builds on a lot of yeah. the previous motifs from soup balls into a more grandeur piece of music and, and i think what what was trying to happen here was that it, you're, you're, you've been introduced to the boiler room, the kind of the heart, the furnace of this bathhouse in a kind of small piano concerto offbeat way. And then as the, as the camera pans out and you see the full bathhouse, it kind of everything falls into picture and everything comes a lot more. That's a small piece. That's the, that's the kind of the swan. That's the, the legs beating fast below the water but then if you if you put if you pan the camera back you've got this beautiful swan that's being powered and i just thought it was a really really nice pairing of music to what we're actually seeing on the screen yeah and i love the way that the introduction of this world kind of does that Mm. because you spend quite a lot of time looking at these spirits and weird creatures and you know big boiler rooms and things like that and you're always wondering to yourself i don't have the big picture here i don't actually know what these things are like yeah or where we are yeah we don't don't know where we are and it takes a long time for us to get that vital piece of expositiony information Mm. from uh, the witch what's her name so uh yubaba Yubaba is, is the name of the witch. So that's the next piece of music, actually, which brings me very great segue onto is Yubaba is the next track. And you know that she's evil because of the music. The music tells you that it's evil because the music piece called Yubaba starts with low thumping piano. It's the deep keys on a piano is how that song is introduced. And it's the thumping of that piano as she's knocking at the door to Yubaba's, um, I guess, penthouse apartment upstairs. And again, you know, the music is the introduction here. The music is saying that this is an evil person. This is an evil spirit. This is an evil place to be. She is the, 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 the queen of hearts for all intents purposes for this comparison we're doing between Alice in Wonderland and Spirited Away. And yeah. you're right. She, she is the one, but, but that's where you really have the sense of the, the animation style is very, very, unnatural and it's unnerving the sense that she's got this big face and she's this overpowering magical being it's it's really terrifying and she's omnipotent and i guess just controlling and and a little bit crazy and it's 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 a terrifying character yeah um but also very but also very flawed i think i was scared scared of her when i first met her but after a little while a few conversations down the road I wasn't actually that scared of her anymore because I think a lot of her flaws as a character come to light quite quickly. Yes. And you can start, and you can start to see how 
those flaws could be manipulated. Yes. And how you could easily just, you know, go through. Yes. But the the thing that I wanted to get at, and I, I wrote this down in my notes, um, Shahiro Sen, she must be terrified. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. These are such crazy creatures and everything's unknown. She doesn't know anything that's going on. And then she's being told she has to work. It must be terrifying. Like, and yeah, she's, must- that scene when she's crying in the, the sleeping bag. And I'm like, God, yeah, I would be crying too. Like, that is absolutely crazy. You Baba's this huge faced woman, like, terrifying. And I found myself, like, latching on to the human looking, you know, the humans in this, because there are some humans, obviously, Haku's. It has human form for most of it, and I forget I forget the name for the 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 other human, the the one that looks after her and sort of gives her the the home. Yeah. But 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 it's it's kind of it's absolutely it's absolutely terrifying for her and and, and what is happening on screen. But nothing. But she goes through amazing, char- amazing character growth as well because she disc discards her fear quite quickly. Yes. And I th- I think her fear was a defining character trait for her at the start of the movie, even before they entered the spirit world. Like she was saying, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go here. Like well, well, well before that. And so you do naturally think, oh, well, God, how are you going to cope when the adventure starts and stuff like that? But she does and she grows a lot. Yeah, Absolutely. But she's really put to the test when one character makes their appearance, and that is No Face. Yeah. Now, obviously, Yubaba, as we've said, is quite creepy looking. The boiler room scene is quite creepy and weird, and all the creatures and all, I guess, the kind of the, f- the frog looking animations for a lot of the people and stuff, it's all quite creepy and unnatural. But nothing, I think, is more unnatural than No Face. Yeah. What's your thoughts on No Face? Because I personally, I've watched this movie a few times and I didn't actually understand him as a character. I didn't actually understand it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you ever get a payoff or an explanation as to who he is or why he's drawn to. Because he, he is drawn or attracted or whatever you want to call it to Shihiro or Sen. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... You don't really know why. And Sen initially doesn't, isn't that bothered by him, but it's, it's crazy. And I, and I wondered as well if there was a different, so No Face has a voice at one point where it talks and it's this huge creature that's eating people and stuff. And it's terrifying. This people eater. Yeah. In the, in the bathhouse sequence when it's like coaxing people in with gold and it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, I guess, like, I guess No Face, in a lot of ways, is the Cheshire Cat, almost, to this yeah, whole piece. Yeah. And it's, it's really creepy and crazy. And, and, and I, but it, what I wondered was, when I watched this originally, I don't remember No Face having a voice. I don't actually remember being there, a voice associated in those scenes. I remember the, the scary thing about No Face is that not only did it have No Face or No Face was present, there was also no voice associated with it. It was just this creepy being that had no real relevance or place to be where it was. And yeah. everyone was terrified of it. And, I, and as you say, I think that's really great that you picked up on the fact that there's no real payoff for No Face because there isn't. I mean, at the end, he's good. And he's in um, Yubaba's sister, uh, uh, Zen- Zeniba, 
her kind of house and she just lives there with her. I didn't understand that. I genuinely don't understand yeah. that. I think there's another there's another angle to this movie, which it which is the is that it's not supposed to be taken literally mm. as a as a magical story, but more of a kind of imagination story. Because I I began to think towards the end of the movie that maybe none of it was real and it was all happening in her head. Yeah, and she was all, all like dreaming it because I was thinking about the setup of the movie. You know, the family's moving house and moving home to a new place. She's going to start a new school and she's not happy about it. No. She, in, in many ways, she's entering a world that she doesn't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I completely agree. At which, you know, that is a very clear, that's a very clear metaphor to the story that's being presented to us in the actual spirit world, which quite literally is a world that she doesn't know or understand. Mm, mm. So, and at the end of the movie, when she gets out, out of the spirit world, she and her mother and father leave the tunnel in the same way that they went in with her clutching her mother's arm. And yeah. the mother is the same line as when they went in. It's like, don't, don't clutch me so hard. Like, oh, is it? oh, okay. So the, the, the movie is, is bookended in such a way that you think that it makes you think did any of it actually happen or you know is their imagination just r running wild mm. and if you look at it that way then you could have a look at no face and say that maybe it's the physical embodiment of her uncertainty mm. Mm. yeah maybe Oh, well, that's a, yeah. I mean, I hadn't, I actually hadn't considered that. So, so there's a reflection that no face is the kind of, I guess, the fear of her, and it's the kind of yeah. the embodiment of her fear. Oh, that yeah. I mean, I, I that would work. I definitely think that would work yeah. for a lot of this movie. Yeah. Um, so the the piece of music that accompanies no face throughout a lot of this, it's called uh, kunashi, and I wonder if that's the real or the Japanese version of what. And I wonder what kunashi actually means. Um, actually, do you want to Google Kunashi whilst I'm talking? Because I wanted to give you a little bit of context right, about what Kunashi means. So Kunashi is the kind of, it's the very creepy piece of music that accompanies the character of No Face. But it's not Japanese um, music originally that's, that's, that's used to, to play this track. It's actually, or, it originates in Balinese gamelan music. So, and I picked up on this because I wrote down in my notes, it's unusual percussion. And it's kind of like a muted bell, like someone's like banging on a muted bell almost of sort of, um, I, I guess, just like a clanking, unusual, un unnatural almost sound. But I've basically taken a bit of time and I've looked into it. So Bali um, is an Indi it's obviously Indonesian island, but uh, it has its own techni techniques and styles for its music, including kekak, a form of singing that imitates the sound of monkeys. In addition, the island is home to several unique kinds of gamelan, including gamelan, jegog, gamelan, gedud, uh, and gamban. I can't pronounce some of these pieces of music. But basically, the, the point of a lot of Balinese music is it does rely quite heavily on the kind of percussion elements of it. A large part of 
Balinese gamelan music is that they use percussion instruments and the percussion instruments typically are, are made of bronze and bamboo xylophones and gongs. And so that's probably where a lot of the inspiration has come from. And, and you can hear that kind of almost muted sound when uh, No Face has entered the bathhouse or when he's appearing out of nowhere kind of uh, in a sort of spooky and unnatural manner. And I, I think it pairs really, really well um, with that. Right. So I have found a translation. Okay. Or a definition of kanashi. So to find the word, I looked up, I looked it up on Apple Music. That was the word I searched. But when you search that, you just get the character. Oh, so that's the character's name. Character. However, then I put definition afterwards and it automatically put me to kanashi, okay. which is just one letter difference. That okay. the o isn't, otherwise it's the same thing. And it means fear. Ah, so we've cracked it. Maybe. So, so that I, is, so no face is the embodiment of her fear. Quite possibly, yeah. Ah, now that or, would make a lot of sense. Or negative, negative influences, basically anything, because he tends to absorb every and then become everything negative. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So, I mean, that, that's, that's really me coming to the end. There's only a couple more pieces of music that I want to talk about. One of them was Six Station. Uh, Six Station is the piece of music. It's a beautiful strings and piano concerto that's played as the tram is moving through um, Obviously, when she's taking the tram away with no face, she's taking her fear away, as it were. Uh, and it's basically played as the train is moving. And I, again, a lovely piece of music, the sixth station, followed again yeah. by reprise, which is the piece of music when she's going back to the bathhouse. Those traveling pieces of music where you are kind of having the, the camera pan out a little bit and you've got a, f a wider scope of what you're looking at it, it yeah. is, abs is, absolutely, uh, is absolutely unique. I, I think it's... Th those grand pieces of wide and vast music are just amazing. Yeah. I don't know how long it'll be before I decide to watch the movie again, but I know definitely that I want to listen to the soundtrack in between yeah. those. Like, just um, to go back there almost. Yeah, it, it, it very much takes you back to that place. The, the last song that I'm going to talk about, and, it's, and there's a funny little, um, it made me think of somebody else, and I'm sure you'll know who this, this reminded you of, someone who's featured on this podcast a lot. But the last song is the only song with actual singing in it. Um, the singer is um, Yumi Kimaru, and it, the song is Always With Me. And that is basically the song that accompanies the closing credits of the movie. And the reason that that was introduced um, was the director was listening to it so much throughout the production of this movie. He kept listening to this song and he, and he loved this song so much that he decided to include it in the end. Um, but it was because he listened, as I say, listened to it from his own personal collection that he liked it so much. And that's why he included it. Which, who does that remind you of? <laughs> so, Very yeah. good. So, yeah, I mean, but that, I think in a nutshell, is my musical report on the movie spirited away yeah uh definitely gonna give it two thumbs up you are excellent i was one i was wondering I, I i definitely think for for what it does and for what it creates it's a two thumbs up soundtrack that accompanies the movie i think the yeah. reason why is that is because the the movie itself is 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 uh is such like it's such a powerful movie and it's and it's it's so defining of i think a generation 
and it will it just will hold up it will hold up yeah it's definitely a, it's definitely a classic i'm watching this i'm watching this one going oh, this is definitely still going to be played for generations i mean it 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 fine it constantly falls into the list of a, a thousand and one films to watch before you die it's always in these sort of lists yeah. uh, and but but one thing that it made me think was when i have children i'll show this to them like I, yeah. I, I'll show this to them, you know, in the same way that I'll, I'll want them to watch Alice in Wonderland, which is something that I was scarred with as a child. And not for the reason that I think they'll enjoy it or they'll appreciate the deep, subtle meanings that obviously we've been able to find or the musical melodies, because I want to scare the shit out of them. And this will scare my children. Wow. <laughs> it's character that's building. Quite, that's quite a revelation to place on the podcast. <laughs> Maybe I'll play them this podcast before you get a chance to scare them, just to like warn them of what's to come. Do it, do it. When they find it on our dusty cassette after the world has been in lockdown for four years and no one's gone out and the, the animals have taken over and all we have left is this one, all we have left is this one recording of this podcast that as, as entertainment and we play it on a daily basis. Just to keep yeah. ourselves sane, but the joke Absolutely. is we're not sane. No, that is that is the joke. I think <laughs> I, I don't think anyone would define sanity as listening to recordings of your own voice. People people will just be like, "Who is this crazy no face that they talk of?" And it's this mystical creature. And through the generations, soon it will become a god, and we will pray for it. <laughs> wow, <laughs> you've obviously given that a lot of thought. <laughs> Still a bit hungover, I'll be honest. <laughs> I did want to ask you though. I did want to ask you though before we leave Spirited Away. How do you like to watch it, like audio-wise? Do you watch it in English? Uh, I watched it with the English dubbing. Yes, right. I've only ever watched it with English dubbing. As I said, I, I initially watched it with with subtitles that were French subtitles, um, but yeah. I, I, that didn't really. <laughs> that's not really answering your question. Yeah. The only, the, like I said, the only I, difference that I've ever noticed was no face in the in the version that I watched. He had no, no one was talking. And that really threw me off when I rewatched this. I was like, hang on, how does he, how can he speak in this? Because he didn't speak before. And it's got this very jarring American accent. Obviously, a lot of them have American accents in the dubbing. Yeah. Which, yeah. Because I know, I wanted to ask you if you thought that the dubbing was good. Because I know that the movie was brought to Western audiences by John Lasseter. Yes. Of, of Pixar. Now, did you read so this? Did you read the same fact that I did? Well, I read it somewhere, probably Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. About... Somewhere, not, somewhere not, too, not too deep, but I know that he really championed this movie and brought it to America, really. Yes, yes. And he tried to, so he deliberately tried to sync the dubbing with the speaking of all the characters that he was portraying. So, so, so he took it upon himself to do that. Oh, wait, so did he, record, did he act in it? Yeah, I believe I believe so. Let me just let me just uh, get it up for us here. I think I'm getting my Jones mixed up. No, sorry, it was John Ratzenberger. Sorry, I'm getting mixed up with John Ratzenberger and John Laster. So yeah, John Laster was the one that brought it over, but obviously John Ratzenberger, who is famous Pixar voice, uh, yeah. he he did a lot of the voice acting. He actually did the voice acting of the assistant manager, but it was him. Sorry. Sorry, I got the two names mixed so, up. Yeah. So I watched it in Japanese with English subtitles. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. And I highly recommend you do. So I didn't set that. Obviously, you did that through Netflix. You can set that up. Yeah. Can you? Yeah. Oh. So the option, the option is there to do that. And I thought, well, this is how 
it's supposed to be seen. And I know how much I got from Parasite. Parasite and watching that in Korean with English subtitles. And I really don't think Parasite would be as impactful as it was with English dubbing. And yeah, I think you'd agree with yeah. me. Yeah, no, I know. I think there's a lot of dubbed movies actually at the moment, and there's a lot of foreign movies at the moment that I've I've been watching, and and they've all been dubbed. And I, I, you, yeah. you, it's quite jarring at first, and eventually you settle into it. But I think I would rather subtitles than dubbing. Uh, so I, yeah. yeah, but I think animation, animation is one of these ones where you, you, it's very difficult to animate the specific words that are coming out of your mouth. Uh, well, it would have been much yeah. harder in two thousand and one. You, you, you can suspend your disbelief more easily with animation yes yeah like I, I i could imagine watching something like spirited away and just assuming that nothing's wrong and then that's the original version that's just how it was made it was made with you know english actors yeah or english exactly so maybe it doesn't make a difference but i thought the first time i watch it i'll watch it in japanese and maybe next time i'll watch it with the english dubbing and see see what's what although I might, I might find, I might find the American accent a bit jarring. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, this week on the podcast, I'm going to talk about a movie that I love called Saving Mr. Banks. Yes. And it's a really, really gorgeous movie. It took me a few years after it came out to actually watch it. I think it's just, you know, in cinema releases every year, you, you get hordes and hordes of, the, of, of dramas, right? Yes. And I feel like most of them sort of disappear. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think dramas is the one, the sort of dramas are the ones that are most likely to kind of fade into obscurity. Yeah, because I remember things that were big and Oscar hyped at the time. Things like The Post. The Post is a great example. I, I sometimes think The King's Speech. Um, well, I think The King's Speech is... Or the Queen. The, the, King, the King's Speech is a bit different because I see The King's Speech on every DVD shelf in every house I've ever been in. <laughs> just, it's just a DVD that everybody has. Yeah. Uh, uh, for some reason. Well, not for some reason. It's a great movie. It really is. But yeah, things like The Post, even things like The Big Short. Yeah, The Big Short. Uh, what's, what's the other one? I know American. the one... The one, uh, uh-huh. is it Money, uh, not Moneyball? I know the one you're talking about, uh, though. Yeah, but big movies with big casts that are Oscar bait, right? Yeah. And loads of people will see them, but nobody will want to watch them ever again. Yeah. Do you know so what I, I mean? Wa- so I had to rewatch this one again. Well, yeah, but... Because I went to cinema to see this one. <laughs> I think when this came out, Maybe I thought that this would be one of one of those things, but then when I watched it, I was 
incredibly surprised to see that this is a really beautiful movie and a beautiful story about a girl and her father. Yes, yes. At the, at the core. Obviously, that's not, that's not the plot of the movie. The plot of the movie is Walt Disney is trying to buy the rights to make Mary Poppins from the author of the children's book, uh, P.L. Travers. And he encounters a very stubborn and difficult to work with woman that is very, very possessive and protective of her characters. And you kind of think that it's going to be a kind of comedic caper as Tom Hanks's Disney is trying to navigate all this and get get the job done and get the rights and make the film and we get Mary Poppins as we see. But then, but the movie is not about that at all. It's It's all about her psyche and about the parallels between her own childhood and her own life and how that manifested it manifested in her imagination to become Mary Poppins yeah and why because those two things are intrinsically linked so so closely why she's reluctant to let it go yes yes yeah now just just before we get into the music of this I just wanted to give you so from a perspective piece I had a really interesting relationship with this movie in that when I watched this I as I said I went to the cinema to see this I think I went to a pre-screen showing of this because the people that we were living with um, so I and I watched this in Australia and the people we were living oh. with were uh were actually um in film and tv and media and they were able to give us free passes to go and see this movie and so i went to a relatively quiet theater i think it was one evening maybe a tuesday evening i think it was a pre-show screening i remember watching this and i was in australia at the time just amazed by the fact that oh okay there's a lot of australia in this movie and it's kind of the root of it and then further to that point one of the houses that we were living in and we were, it was a long story, but basically Maddie and I were looking after some houses for people who were away and we were renting them out for them and keeping the upkeep. But one of the houses was a large big house. It was a big five bedroom house that had been built by the owner. He had designed it and built it and the whole house was symmetrical and perfect. And it was a beautiful, beautiful house, a little bit creepy in the evenings, actually it was so big, but his, we were just basically looking after it and ticking over. And it was an interesting, it was an interesting time in our lives, but what was amazing about the house was that it was all the rooms were named after the Banks family and the Banks children and Mary Poppins and things like that. And one of the rooms was yeah. P.L. Travers' room. So this whole house had a kind of Mary Poppins theme to it because, and I, and I okay. always was confused why that was. And then until I saw this movie and I went, oh, hang on a minute the origins of a lot of this are from Australia and the family, you know, the original, what we today now refer to as the Banks family. Um, went to and it wasn't the Travers family it was the it, 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 I forget the name of it what was their original name it began with a, a j Goff. Uh, sorry the Goff family were uh immigrated to Australia from from England right I believe yeah I mean it, that's not depicted in the movie I regret I didn't go into a huge amount on researching the woman pl travers i kind of kept it to what is in what is in the course, movie yeah yeah yes yeah and that aspect of them is not in the movie but if that if that's true that's very very yeah that's I very, think very, so. yeah but from my perspective i thought just they were they were australian and they moved to the outback from sydney 
Oh, so maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe he is from so maybe he is from England, but she was born in Australia. Very possibly because he yeah. doesn't have he doesn't really have a, a Australian accent. Although I don't know, maybe Colin Farrell can't do one. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the rest of them do. The rest of them are definitely Australian. No, she she was born. So she was born in uh, Queensland, but she actually died in London. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I didn't actually know that P.L. Travers was Australian before I saw this movie. And because I didn't actually read any, I've, I've, and I've still not read any Mary Poppins. I only know Mary Poppins because of the Disney movie. Yeah. And I don't know if you're in the same boat with that. Yeah, I mean, I watched the, I watched the movie. Sorry, just to finish that off, he was born in, he was born in Peckham. The dad. Oh right. Okay, yeah, fine. sorry. No, I, I hadn't. I mean, the Disney movie is one that you definitely grew up with much more than me. We've talked this through to death. Disney movies, much like James Bond movies, there's a huge catalog and a set of them, and every child growing up had a series of some, and it, they did. So maybe the Disney movies that I grew up with were maybe more Snow White and Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland, but I didn't have Mary Poppins in my collection. So I didn't right. really grow up with this one as much as I did with those other ones. But sure. I did see this one, not even though I didn't own it, I did see this one quite a lot. I think, I think it was rented right. at some point in there. And yeah, yeah I, I loved it. And, and I think that the real reason why I loved it, the actual movie Mary Poppins, is because I loved Dick Van Dyke so much because one of the movies I did own was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, uh, the inflaming story so that's kind of where that's where a lot of my yeah. love for this comes from yeah yeah well to get into the music of saving mr banks it was written by the great thomas newman yeah i saw who, that thomas newman yes we we have mentioned thomas newman on the podcast before when we were talking about one of his relations randy newman and, and about the we talked about the newman dynasty Yes, and I would, I would be a terrible sibling if I did not give a shout out to my sister Joanna, who <laughs> is who is rabidly obsessed with especially with especially Thomas Newman, absolutely one of her favorite favorite composers, and I think this is probably one of her favorite soundtracks of all of his work, and I'd be inclined to agree with her. It's it's a very quintessential Thomas Newman-y sound. Like I think if you put Thomas Newman scores side by side, this one would sound very very similar to Finding Nemo. Yes, 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 very much so. Which is very interesting because where where are both those movies set? Uh, oh yeah, Australia, Australia, Australia. They're both they're both set in Australia, so you know that might be something. But I generally think it's more just the Thomas Newman sound. But he was actually nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Score for this one, which I think is very, very deserved. Throughout the whole movie, he takes a lot of Mary Poppins quotes and puts them into a lot of the original compositions. So, for example, with some of the sad parts of Ginty's life, uh, P.L. Travers's childhood, she was called, her dad called her Ginty. And in some of the sadder moments that we see in those flashbacks, there's some chimes happening yes. in the back. And yes. they're actually chiming a little, a very subtle, but quite definite variation of 
Chimchimery. Chimchimery, yeah. And it, and it's obviously yeah. the, the speech that Colin Farrell, uh, as Travers Goff says yeah. at the start and the end, again, bookends yeah. this, this film yeah. with, with the, the actual, you know, wins in the East um, yeah. piece of very, music, which is beautiful. It's very oh. obvious. It is very obvious in those moments, but it is prevalent throughout the whole movie. And I really, really like that. But I love the themes that he wrote. Well, I love the theme that he wrote for Travers Goth, her, her dad. It's wonderful. When you first meet him in that first scene, you, you instantly get who he is. Yes. You instantly get a character. He's, he's, a, he's a man who, he's a father who loves his daughter, number one. And number two, he's a man with this soaring imagination. Yes. A really beautiful soaring imagination. And the score has, you know, that violin melody. It's mm. like a full violin section doing this really soaring melody. Do you know the one I mean? I do. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with it. I'm, I'm, I, know the, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I can hear it. And I, I think it was played quite a lot during the scenes where he's chasing his daughters through the, uh, the washing, the washing lines as well. And I, think, and I think it's very, very important that that theme happened when Travers came on screen because it's used also as kind of the theme for the whole movie. If you were to give the movie uh, a main musical theme, it would be that one. But I think it's important to distinguish that it's not just the theme of the movie, it's Travers's theme that's played a lot throughout the movie because of how important Travers was mm. to who uh, Ginty grew up to be. Yes, yeah. And because you hear the theme in the, for lack of a better term, present day, obviously the present day of this movie is actually 19, late 1960s. Yep. Late 1960s Los Angeles primarily. But when you're in that section, that theme still comes back because you're seeing glimpses of Travers's imagination and his inspiration that he instilled in his daughter, which I think yeah. is really very beautiful, which is why that theme comes up, comes up so often in the movie, yeah. as far as I'm But another thing that uh, Newman does really, really well is, you know, painting the picture of where they are, wherever it is in this movie. Like one of my favorite tracks on the soundtrack is quite early on, it's called Walking Bus, which is when- Yes, the I love that bit, yes. Yeah, when the Travers family are moving from their relatively nice house in the city, I'm assuming it's Sydney, it might not be, uh, to the outback, and Travers starts, you know, the walking bus. It's got this really Australian flavor to it. Mm. Like, quite, you know, pronounced rhythms and energetic strings. It's kind of like, I don't know, there are similarities between that and, like, you know the american west type thing. oh yeah i think so i think you're right yeah, yeah. it does it does it definitely it definitely paint, it definitely paints a picture and on the other side of the spectrum in the 1960s back in los angeles when we when walt disney takes her to disneyland yes oh and goodness then, and, like the gates open and you get walt disney's theme which is still an imagination theme much like Travers Goth, mm. uh, his theme is, but where his theme is more kind of soaring 
and tender, I would mm-hmm. say. Walt Disney's is hyperactive and adventurous. Yes. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, completely, like, completely. I could be wrong in saying, didn't, isn't it well documented, like, Walt Disney had, like, ADHD or, and... Um, yeah, so I wondered how long, I wondered like, how long it would take for us to get to Walt Disney and his portrayal in this film. Um, so there's two parts to this, there's two parts to Walt Disney um, in this movie. The first is the character of Walt Disney as a person, and the second is Tom Hanks playing that character. So I'll start with the second. Tom Hanks playing any character will fill that character with magic and wonder. His voice, his eyes, his charisma will come through no matter what role he plays. Only one other actor that I have on a similar pedestal to Tom Hanks who can do that was the late, great Robin Williams. Both of those have the charisma, the eyes, the voice, and no matter who they play, they, they, I am turned into a little child yeah, watching them. Matter everything that they're in is good. Everything that they're in is good. So that's the second part of it. So, in 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 trying to make Walt Disney this warm and an actually very tolerant character in the movie, they nailed it by having Tom Hanks do it, and Tom Hanks nailed that job. Yeah. Walt Disney, now, <laughs> I don't know a huge amount about him, but I've heard some really interesting mixed reviews of him as a character. Uh, yeah. I think at one point, I think he's, is he not, is, is he an anti-Semite or something like that? There's some really, he's had some... Well, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of those references in the early Disney movies. I, I, I you know, there's no doubt that, that, that there is some anti-Semitic themes in some of his movies and i guess there's a touch of almost racism in some of them you know you look back and there's like there's like song of the south which has been strapped or uh, strapped off the the disney roster and stuff but but yeah but i mean yeah. i think that there's there's a lot of people who will jump to the defense because they were films of their time and that actually they don't reflect him as a person that was just a cultural norm but he has yeah. amassed an empire but for all of the money the power and 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 i guess the the glory that came to Walt Disney. I mean, he's one of the most fi- Disney is one of the most famous last names ever, really, uh, and definitely yeah, for our generation. For for everything that comes to him, you know, you can't expect him to have been this incredible, gleaming knight in shining armor. He's obviously, you know, to, to to get where he's got to. Obviously, a lot of it, uh, you, you know, he, he sort of he, he explains that he didn't grow up with that wealth, but he's just he's he's been able to amass it. Um, yeah. he's got to have been a very influential person. Now, the way that they portray him as his influential person in Saving Mr. Banks is done in a very, uh, he's, he's, he's a very delicate influence. He doesn't want to push. He, he's so respectful of her and he's, he is just so lovely to her. And I just can't think that it would have went down like that in real life. No, I don't, I don't either. I don't either. There is a really touching scene when he talks about Mickey and how he feels the same and has felt the same about Mickey as Travers does about Mary Poppins and her characters and I really really loved that but I can't help but think that even in the early days even in the early days of Disney and especially getting into the 1960s is 
Disney was already a huge media empire. Yeah. yeah. And that you can't get, you just can't get to that point without being a ruthless business. Yeah, exactly. And 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 again, I think that anyone else, so that's why I, I said it, this is two points. The second point being that Tom Hanks sells that, sells that fantasy that Disney was yeah. very sensitive and, and very tolerant. But I just, yeah, yeah you're right. I can't, I can't imagine it went down that way. Yeah, obviously, like, there's so many aspects to, like, everyone's character. But I do love... I like to think that that this version of Disney did exist. Yes, yes. Like these these aspects of his character was there that he was an artist, an entertainer, and somebody with this huge imagine huge imagination. And he is still the man to this day with the most number of Oscars. Yeah, by a long way. Like I think he was a fascinating fascinating man but there is that there is that other aspect as well that i think was that de- was definitely there so i also forgive me now for standing on your toes but it wasn't just thomas newman that was in charge of the music or or had uh, his say in the music of this movie do you know who else am i standing on your toes or do you not know so i think but i'll let you take this one because you seem quite tickled by this no well i just i just loved i just loved it that obviously on screen uh um uh is it bench bench i forget the character it was bj novak from the office um and uh and uh, it's jason schwartzman who plays the other uh sherman brother but obviously they they play the richard and 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 robert sherman yeah Uh, the sherman brothers were absolute titans of music in this era in in hollywood in hollywood mm. absolute titans like primary songwriters for everything you mentioned chitty chitty bang bang they wrote they, they wrote um those songs oh did they really yeah oh we i'm gonna get to that one one day because hushabye mountain still just dick van dyke singing hushabye mountain is obviously similar to this kind of mary poppins obviously dick van dyke singing um chim chimney because it's very it's a very very similar yeah thank um, goodness thank goodness and chitty chitty bang bang they decided to not make him try to do a cockney accent a co- <laughs> exactly yeah you can just keep your American one; it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, exactly, because the Courtney <laughs> accent is terrible in Mary Poppins. Oh, it really it's atrocious, and he knows it as well. He jokes about it all the time. It's, it's quite. Really... Funny. But my fact being that, uh, oh, and I'm sure it was, I'm sure you knew this as well. But Richard Sherman was used as musical consultant to this movie. Yes, he was. Yeah, which I just think is lovely. It is lovely. It, it is really, really lovely, and. It, it must be quite an age now, right? Yeah, I was. So I saw a photo of B.J. Novak, um, uh, Jason Schwartzman, and uh, Richard Sherman all together, and it was because it was a, they were they were taking a photo of the three of them, and it was for an yeah. article because obviously, sadly, Robert Sherman passed away in 2012. But the uh, yeah. the uh, which I think it was a year or during the production of this, but the um, or maybe just maybe just before, but the 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 article for it was it was a really touching article just about how he interacted with the characters and how he helped with a lot of the the the, the performance pieces and I guess crafting what actually went on in some of those re- rehearsals rehearsal rooms and those those rehearsal room sections of this movie were by far none the best parts of this oh, movie. They're lovely, aren't they? They're they're, they're absolutely lovely. I I think when you're talking about the making of a movie that we've all grown up with, i.e. Mary Poppins, and you get to see the songs that are the most, uh, that are 
so famous in those movies being performed as if they were just being written on a rehearsal piano yes. by, a, by a portrayal of the Sherman brothers. And then to see the writers and the producers and the script writers and Walt Disney himself be so animated and excited about these songs as if they were themselves children is just an absolute treat for the, for the nostalgic like mm. me. I absolutely love me a bit of nostalgia. And those moments are so, so beautiful in this movie. My favorite one, of course, being Let's Go Fly a Kite. I knew you were going to say Let's Go Fly a Kite. I, was, I mean, I was singing it. I, I'll be honest, I was a bit tipsy watching this. I was, I was steaming watching this movie, but I was singing along and dancing away to this. I was loving Whoa! it. <laughs> it, it was it was the it is it's the bit that oh, oh, oh let's go i loved it i loved it yeah it's really really great and obviously in the context of the narrative the story as well it's a really important character defining moment for mrs travers yes because she then comes on board with the musical idea and she gets how powerful the songs can be for her characters and like she gets on board and she starts singing and dancing with the rest of it and she loves it and it's a really heartwarming moment yeah it's no, really really beautiful. I, I, I just yeah I, I thought i thought it was absolutely fantastic and the, there's there's also the other the other scene where uh richard sherman who's played by uh, jason schwartzman is playing the piano and I don't know if it's, I don't know what piece of music it is that he's playing, but it's where he's playing it on his own in the rehearsal room and Walt Disney hears it and he walks up into the room. I forget what, what piece of music Feed that is. Feed the Bird. It is, it's Feed the Birds. That's yeah. it. And, and so, because it was only when I rewatched this, you've got supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, which obviously there's the really funny reference when they talk about made up words and they kind of hide that yeah. word, which I thought was yeah. really funny. And you've got Feed really the Birds. Funny. Let's go fly a kite, chim chim. There's so many amazing songs. Yeah, yeah. So so many amazing songs, and it's interesting because I'll, the vast majority of the Sherman songs, what they what they loved to do, not just for this movie but for other movies, but in this movie in particular, most of the songs are in a waltzing three four meter. Yeah. And it's to promote like that kind of like dancing quality, like chim, even chim chimery. One two three, one two three, one two yeah. three. You know, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. And if you and if you sang a lot of the other songs, feed in your the head, birds is as well. Yeah, I'm just doing feed the birds. Feed the birds is a lot. A lot of them are supercarbohydratesick. Is it's not. No, it's not. Spoonful of sugar is not. No. But pretty, but I think those are the only two that aren't. But the point is, it's it's a staple of of the movie that kind of lilting dancing quality yes and what's interesting is not only did thomas newman directly musically quote some mary poppins stuff the vast vast majority almost exclusive of the whole album everything is in a waltzing three. Oh, okay and that's very very deliberate because the waltzing three is an imagination is an imagination thing. You, yes. you want want to dance through it, and you want the music. And if you're doing a biography movie, you want to keep the spirit of the art that you're talking about in your movie. Yes. Yes. And 
So that's one small thing that he did, which I think turns out to be very, very important in the making of Saving Mr. Banks, is that keeping this three waltzing feel throughout the movie keeps you invested. Yes. Yeah, I, I, com- think, I completely agree. I completely agree. Yeah, which, which I think is really fantastic. There's, there, there's just a few other musical musical points I want to make. In just, the... just, just before we go on, sorry, I oh, forgot, yeah. to, I forgot yeah. to mention a note that I did. I did a bit of research into finding out. Obviously, we talked about it was when P.L. Travers was won over by Let's Go Fly a Kite. But it was actually yeah. the inclusion of Feed the Birds. You know, we were talking about that that moment where Robert Sherman uh, is playing the piano of yeah. and, and uh, Everett, sorry, Richard Sherman's playing the piano and Walt Disney comes in. It was actually that song that won her over. Oh, really? Yeah. Not, not Feed the Birds. Um, well, one, and, of, one of my favorite aspects of this movie is that a lot of it is true. Yeah, yes, yes. And if you, and if you watch the credits, there's an example of some of the tapes that P.L. Travers insisted that they record those meetings when they were going through the script. And, it is played to dramatic effect in the movie. Like, it is exaggerated. Yeah. But she was still famously quite quite difficult. Yes. Which which is really, really cool. But it's, it's very, very, very interesting because you wonder what it must have been like for her to go to Los Angeles and with the view to sell or not sell her intellectual property to Walt Disney because they touch on this in the movie quite a lot, how he is already this big media tycoon. Yeah. And that's really not her world at all. And I think they depict that feeling really very, very well in the movie. You know, when she goes into her hotel and there's a a bunch of Disney toys all over her room. Yeah, I like that. No, this won't do at all. But there are more but there are more subtle things as well like when she walks into the lobby there's a jazz band playing right yes and that's the dave brubeck quartet and what they're actually playing is a jazz arrangement of high ho from snow white oh interesting so so she's arriving in a, a city where where there should be anyone and everyone from all walk, from all walks of life but all she can see and all she can hear is disney yes and this 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 overwhelming presence of walt disney and i think i think that's i think that's very important to note for a character at that point yeah yeah but as far as that movie's concerned that's what i've got for that Nice. So I've got a fun little, a couple of fun facts for you. Uh, Go on then. One, one, I'll, I'll do. I'll turn one into a question. But the, we talked a little bit about Tom Hanks playing Walt Disney. Turns out Tom Hanks is actually uh, uh, is, is is in some way a, a, a related cousin of Disney. I think no there way. Is actually, yeah, I think there's a, a, according to IMDb, there's there's an, a check the reference to this. I think there is some relation between the two the two people. Um, oh wow. Which I which I think is really crazy. The second fact I've got is you mentioned the post before. Yeah. So yeah. who and that's the clue for you. It's all the clue you're getting. Who else other than Emma Thompson, who did a fantastic job uh, as P.L. Travers in this film? Who who else was uh, nearly signed up for the role of P.L. Travers? Do you think? Oh, for P.L. Travers. 
I couldn't tell you. Well, that was the 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 the, the clue I'll give you was alongside the post. Oh you right, film the post. Oh, Meryl Streep. That's right. Yeah, Meryl Streep. Really? Near, yeah, so Meryl Streep nearly was your PL Travers. Yeah, but that's. I mean, I, that would not be a very surprising piece of casting, but I'm glad it was Emma Thompson. Yeah, me too. I mean, the, the only other one that I think would have done a really good job would, would have been, obviously, Helen Mirren would have probably done a really good uh, P.L. Travers. But I think Emma Thompson smashed it. I think they're, she did. A they're they're your go-tos, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I think that. I mean, obviously, Maggie Smith would be a little, a little bit uh, older. Maybe Judy Dench would have been quite good, Dame Judy. Uh, I don't know. But that, but that was, uh, but yeah, I, but that was a fun little bit of... Um, trivia that, no, I, that think, yeah. I think emma thompson knocked out of the park she was great this is a two thumbs up film for me yeah it is for me as well it absolutely so is we're so predictable we Stop. are yeah i know it's not Stop doing good movies we, we throw in a we, we throw in a token gesture stinker now and then but it doesn't seem enough no i need you i need you to get on my game when was the last need, thing? We, i don't like talking no about because sh- this is the thing <laughs> but i've got some fun contentious i've got some fun contentious ideas for next couple of weeks i've got i think i know what i'm going to do next week and right. it's and it's a contentious one well i know what we're doing next week oh wait we are yeah we've we've got another special haven't we coming up yeah, yeah. we do Okay, yeah, so I'll, I'll, need to do, I'll need to do that first. Uh, that'll be fun. I'll enjoy that one. I'll enjoy that yeah. one. Well, we'll have, to, we'll have to divvy out the movies. Yeah, we'll, we'll plan that and we'll do that one off. Okay, moving forward. Yeah, moving forward. Have you got anything off the bat? Yeah, so only one for me. Uh, Guy Ritchie's uh, latest film, The Gentleman, made its way to DVD uh, recently. I decided to watch that. And it was only at that point I realized how much I have seen Colin Farrell in the last two weeks of my life. Because he's been in <laughs> The Gentleman. He's been in, obviously, uh, Saving Mr. Banks. We didn't talk about him in the Saving Mr. Banks. He was fantastic as well. I mean, we, he was... Yeah, well, we, we, talked, <laughs> we talked about him a little bit, but I think I mocked his accent, which <laughs> I'm regretting, because he really was fabulous. In the, yeah. in, in and obviously, before that, his, his Irish accent came through in Daredevil. <laughs> In, yeah. uh, in in the, the previous banger that we reviewed. But The Gentleman, as I say, Guy Ritchie movie, it's got uh, the return of Hugh Grant, which I've not seen him on the screen for a while, and, yeah. uh, and Matthew McConaughey. It's a brilliant movie. It is such a great movie. Oh, so that's a recommendation from Highly you? recommend it. It's about the sort of right. British aristoc- aristocracy and the the wealth of homes it's very much so i've i've said this before but it, i think the the four movies to take example of you've got uh lockstock snatch rock and roller the gentleman and those four movies they get progressively less dirty and grimy and it's just guys in an underground boxing match or whatever. And they slowly get a little bit more, uh, like more sophisticated when Lockstock looks more into the property market. And then the, the gentleman's more into the kind of the high, the stately homes and, and uh, the underground marijuana growing business of the UK. Yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. I highly recommend you watch it. And there's some great music in it. Um, but that's something that I've been, I, I was watching the other night when my bloody Xbox broke. That's the only thing I want to bring to, to move forward. So the, the, I've got a really sore point of this, right? My, I'm going to say it now. My Xbox broke 
it's it's done. The amount of times I've had to take that Xbox apart and fix little bits and pieces because I hate it. I hate the idea that when something of my stuff breaks and I have to throw it out. So usually I take them apart and I look at it and I, I whether I resold or something or rewire or buy a new part and, and make it again and keep it alive. But I've been beaten. I've been beaten by the Xbox and I hate it because I can't fix it this time. And so I've been forced when it's eight months away from having an upgrade uh, of, of, of models, I've been forced to buy a brand new Xbox and it tears me apart. And, and obviously I we got, talked about I got, I got I got like a good couple of hours earful of it last <laughs> night. It just, it's just annoying. And then the whole thing of it might not have a UK plug, the whole thing just, it really, it really did run over. And, you know, It'll come through, but it's like, but I am, but I am the enemy in this. I am the worst guy in this. I'm the dickhead because not only can I afford it, I should afford it because I play my Xbox a lot. I love doing it. I use it for all of my, for everything I do. You'll get instant value from it. It's, it's, it's like, it's like breaking a a bone in my foot and, and being, and, and then going, you've got to, you've got to. Um, you've got to take the weight off it for a couple of weeks and going, no, but I don't want to because I can fix it myself and I can, I can repair the board myself. What you're saying is you're a, you're a stubborn, cantankerous goat. I'm a stubborn, cantankerous goat and also stingy. I don't like to spend my money unless I absolutely have to because yeah. I'm, 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 I'm a despicable human. And, and you know, you've, you've had to deal with 80% of the grunt of it and Maddie has had to deal with 100% of the grunt of this. And yeah. uh, she doesn't deserve it. <laughs> That's 180%. That's a lot of grunt. <laughs> but I hate it. I hate it. And I'm like, you worked before, now you don't. But I got, I got seven years out of that thing. Seven yeah. years. And yes. it was a gift. <laughs> I have no reason to complain. I sound like an idiot. Okay, what have, we, what have you bringing to this? Right. So moving, moving forward is I want to formally, well, for, formally announce a little project that I'm working on. And my thought is by actually putting it on the podcast it'll actually make me finish it in a timely manner and release it nice for all i'm gonna i'm starting a little video series that's going to be released on the going through the mod throwing going through the mod going through the podcast going through the motions god damn <laughs> going going through the motions podcast the facebook page I'm going to be re- uh, releasing it probably midweek between ep- episode releases, and it's going to be me and sometimes Callum. Uh, I'm hoping uh, performing some arrangements that I'm writing of famous movie themes. The first one that's going to be released, which is going to be in a few days after this episode drops, is going to be a four violin quartet arrangement of "Concerning Hobbits" from the Fellowship of the Ring, which. How have we? How have we not done Lord of the Rings yet? I was like, thinking this the other day. Nearly, nearly twenty episodes in now. I was, I was thinking this the other day, and in my my despair moment, I actually turned to um, the the breaking of the Fellowship because I think that that is, without doubt, one of the most beautiful pieces of scored music in a film ever to exist. It, yeah. it gives me shivers, and actually, and we'll get to that one point. But to answer your question, I have no idea. Why we yeah. haven't, and I and I think that obviously, and I've, had, I've had people request it, so yeah, we've, we've maybe, I think maybe it's that'll time. Be special. <laughs> I think we, I think yeah. that's one we're, we're going to save for a special. I think we also, you know, we we're now this is episode seventeen, 
and yeah. we, which I don't know how that happened all of a sudden, but we're now oh, at I 17. Know. I know we're, we're now we've taken off and, and we're now doing these on a regular basis. And I guess we, we didn't want to jump into your Star Wars. We didn't want to jump into your Indiana Jones yeah. or your, your these, you know, these movies right off the bat. And obviously Lord of the Rings being one of them. But I guess now that we've got our format in place and we know what we can do with our specials and, and our daily or weekly episodes, I think yeah. it's about time. I think it's about time we tackled it. So we obviously we've got MCU, which is going to take us through for at least another two episodes, two special episodes. But I think after that it will be long, or we can maybe s- sneak in the Lord of the Rings as one. I don't know. Who, who do who do we have to abide to? We can do what we want. Yeah, we can do what we want. What do we? What do we just do it after the MCU part two? Yeah, and, and let's do let's do uh, two towers first because I'm an anarchist. See, I was wanting to do all three of them in one episode. Oh, well, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that off here. <laughs> You'll we'll, see what we do. We'll see what we do. We'll, we'll talk about that off here. But yeah, I'm going to be releasing some of these arrangements. I'm hoping weekly while we're, while we're going through this. I might talk to Camel a bit about what the background of the track and what it means to me and why I chose to arrange it. And yeah. So I've written a couple of arrangements. I just have to record them now and um you know it's a it's a it's a nice little project for me to be getting going with that i can do from home by myself because obviously a lot of my work is you know i'm a self i'm a self-employed musician so a lot of the work i have to find for myself yeah 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 absolutely well i i I look forward to that mate looking forward to that yeah and we can maybe stick it on the podcast as well as sort of um some special audio tracks midweek as well to, to to keep you guys busy during the lockdown yeah I think that is the show for us this week. Unless yeah, you've got anything else. Alex, what do they have to do now? Uh, got to go on to Apple Podcasts, give us a cheeky little five-star review. That'd be magic. Yeah. And if, if you felt so inclined, write a little review. If you don't want to write a review, maybe just write down your favorite movie or your favorite movie score. Yeah. That'd be magic. We'd love to, we'd love to see it. And, and we're still uh, doing the whole tight to a brick and throw it in through the window, yeah? Oh, yeah. If it's a bad one. If it's a bad one, then... Not any specific window, just no. your, near, your nearest one will do. Why don't, if you've got a bad review for the show, tie it to a brick and throw it through your own window? Yeah. I think that would work. work. I think that would work. Yeah. So that's something else that we, 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 that we endorse that message going through the motions. We hope you do that. Did you imagine if someone actually, yeah. as a lawyer, held us to account because someone threw a brick through their own window and they went, well, you did I, specifically. I'm going to do, do you know what? I'm going to test this. I can afford to rebuy a window if someone is stupid enough to do this. I'm telling you now, go and throw a brick through your own window with a negative review. But th- this is only apparent if you have actually written a negative review on a bit of paper and tied it to that brick. Yeah. And for the... And you can help me say, right? the sake of variety, I'm going to say, don't do that. <laughs> no because you help me pay right it'll come out of the going through the motions pot the fund yeah the fund our, our joint our bank account <laughs> our offshore our offshore account that we have in the caymans which yeah. we shouldn't be talking about on the podcast no definitely definitely not definitely not <laughs> Amazing. Excellent. And if you want to contact the show, the email address is motionspod at gmail.com. We that take any correct. sort of requests uh, of any sort, window or non-window related. <laughs> Could be a car window. I don't care. Throw a passing car. 
a stained glass one from the 13th century. <laughs> but it has to yeah. I, it has to have a negative review for this show and it has to be at least a couple of sentences long. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise we're not paying. Otherwise we're not paying and that's our terms and conditions. <laughs> and uh, once again I'm saying don't do that. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I think that's for us then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. We'll see you. So we're doing the special next week, aren't we? Uh, Yes, we are. Wonderful. Part two of MCU coming at you next week. But until then, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. Ta ta. What was that? Was that two Ronnie's things? Why did we do that? You started it. You started it. (laughs) It's goodbye from him. Okay, guys. See you later. Ta ta. (laughs) 